It is good to be with you all here in the room and online as well. Welcome. We're going to spend some time studying God's Word together now, so I want to invite you to go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. We have two more sermons on the book of Philippians this week and then two weeks from now. Next week, we actually have a very special treat. Uh, Many of you have heard the name Dr. Stephen J. Lawson. Uh, He will be speaking at the Ligonier Conference uh, next week during March 18th through 20th, and then on the 21st, he's going to come here and preach God's Word to us. And so that will be a very, very special treat. Uh, For now, we're going to continue this journey through the book of Philippians. So let's look at Philippians chapter 4. I'll read verses 2 through 9 this morning. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving Word. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you and praise you that you are gracious and kind and merciful and faithful and loving and forgiving. And you have redeemed us in Christ and you are speaking to us even today through your word and spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you continue the good work that you've begun in us, and we thank you that you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, and we thank you that even now you are at work in each and every one of us for your glory and for our own joy. And so would you speak to us now, Lord, through your word and spirit? Would you use this time that we spend in your word to Teach us, to shape us, to mold us, to equip us, and to even excite us to continue our mission to make disciples. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, if you're looking for a word of the day, the word of the day is peace. And Paul already gave you two for your tally because he talks both about the peace of God and the God of peace in this passage. In fact, that's really going to be our focus for this morning, peace. Some of you might be thinking about where you're at in life or what's going on in your life, and you may be thinking, boy, I would really like peace. I know I'm in that boat with you. Peace, uh, where do we get it? Where do we find it? H.G. Wells, the 
writer said in his 60s, I cannot adjust my life to secure any fruitful peace. Here I am at 64, still seeking peace. It is a hopeless dream. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you're wondering if genuine peace is something you can actually experience in this life. Or maybe you're thinking if there just wasn't so much chaos and pandemonium in society, if, there was, if things would just settle down, then, then I could experience some peace. But what I would submit to you is actually we can have peace. God wants us to have peace, even in the midst of the chaos. You know, in Florida, we're familiar with hurricanes, unfortunately, all too well. And one of the things that's interesting about hurricanes is when a hurricane passes over any section of ocean, on the surface, it's just chaos. The waves are swirling and smashing into each other. The wind is whipping. It's absolutely pandemonium. But what's so interesting is just 25 feet deep, the water's totally calm. And the fish swim like it's NBD, no big deal. 25 feet away from utter chaos, and it's calm. And what that tells you, what that tells me, is in God's world, we actually can be in and around the chaos, but still have peace. If we actually don't chase peace, but rather if we pursue Christ. You want peace? You need to get it from Christ. You know, think about it. This whole letter, as we've been studying this letter, we've been looking at how Paul is teaching the Philippians and now us today what it looks like to have a more and more Christ-centered life, a life that revolves around Christ, a life that is about knowing Christ more and more and more. And so here we get to this passage where Paul is really talking about peace in three different ways, all of which center on Christ. And so good news, friends. We actually can have peace. The more we center our lives on Christ, the more we experience genuine peace. We're going to see that today as we look at these three ways Paul talks about peace. So three points, peace, peace, and peace. I'm going to do something I've never done. I'm going to let you pick the order. <laughs> but we'll start with peace. Okay, first I want to talk about peace and relationships. Paul talks about the situation with these two women, and, and he gives them a path to peace and relationships. We'll talk about how do we get to peace when there's conflict in the church. Uh, then he'll talk about peace in our hearts. And how do we have peace in our hearts, even if we're really worried about things that are taking place? And then we'll talk about peace of mind. He's going to talk to us about how we have peace in our minds through our thought life. And so those three things, peace in our relationship, peace in our hearts, peace in our minds. Let's go ahead and talk about peace in relationships. Look at verse 2 and 3. Really phenomenal thing taking place here. Verse 2 and 3. And here's the first thing we want to draw from what Paul says, that we can have peace in our relationships through Christ-centered conflict resolution. That's what Paul is getting at here, that we can have peace in our relationships with one another through Christ-centered conflict resolution. Now, you might be saying, what? Where, do, where is that? Well, let's look. Take a look at verse 2 and 3. He says, I entreat or plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree in the Lord, yet I Ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So 
what's happening here? Interestingly, there are some scholars who think this is the whole reason Paul wrote the book of Philippians, these two verses. That may be true. But what he's doing here is he's identifying that there's this disagreement, and we don't know the level to which they're disagreeing, we don't know how big this dispute is, but there's this disagreement between these two individuals. Now, they both happen to be women, so we actually could spend quite a bit of time talking about how significant it is that these two women had serious roles in the church at Philippi. We could talk about that. But that's not Paul's point. Paul's point here is he wants them to agree in the Lord. He's not taking a side. Notice he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He's not taking sides, but he wants to see this matter resolved. He wants them to be at peace. Now, here's one of the things we have to realize then. Even in the church at Philippi, this church that Paul just loved, people didn't always get along. They disputed sometimes. They had disagreements. They sinned against each other. They hurt each other. Does that surprise you? One of the biggest things we have to keep in mind when we become part of a church is that we are still sinners and everybody in the church is still a sinner and sinners going to sin. So we can't delude ourselves to think that we're always going to be, everything's wonderful, we're never going to hurt each other. Forget that. There are going to be times when we don't agree. There's going to be times when we hurt each other. There's going to be times when we sin against each other. And what does God want? Okay, when the world, in the world, the way the world works, if you disagree with somebody, you're done with that person. If you disagree with me, I'm done. It's the way the world operates. But it's not the way the kingdom operates. In the kingdom, we pursue reconciliation. We seek to work things out. Now, Paul must have thought that this issue between Euodia and Syntyche was big enough that he wanted to mention it, and he not only wanted to mention it so he could hear, so they could hear that he's pleading with them to come to an agreement, but also he wants to do something else. He wants to get help. Notice verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion. Now, we don't know who this person is. Some people think maybe Luke, but whoever it is, Paul calls him true companion. That's a pretty sweet thing to be called by the Apostle Paul, FYI. But here's, what does he say? What does he say? I ask you also, true companion, help these women. And here's what that tells you. That tells you, number one, we're going to see conflict between members in the church. That happens. But also, we can see the power of the gospel at work when someone outside that conflict comes to help. In fact, there are entire ministries that focus on this. Peacemakers is one of these ministries, for example. When two Christians are at odds with one another, peacemakers can come in and represent both parties and remain objective and try to help each of these two individuals or these two parties work things out. Because Jesus wants peace between members of the church, peace between Christians. So mediation or having someone mediate is actually very, very clearly something important to the Apostle Paul. He says to this true companion, help them. You know, a lot of times what happens is when two parties are at odds with one another, it's really because they can't see something, both sides. Party A can't see something, party B can't see something. They need to see in order to be 
reconciled to one another. Maybe Euodia just couldn't see something about Syntyche. Maybe Syntyche just couldn't see something about Euodia. Or maybe they couldn't see something about themselves that they needed to see in order to be reconciled. And so help is called for. Often resolution and agreement requires someone outside the two parties giving help. You know, there's a uh, image that's been floating around the internet for a while now, and it's very interesting, and I think it's designed to help married couples realize why they can't always work things out in the moment, but it's pretty interesting, and what it is, you might have seen it. It's a man laying on a cliff, and he's hanging over the cliff, and his arm is hanging down, and he's holding on to a woman, and she's hanging there by her hand. Now, they can't seem to pull themselves toward one another. And the man might be thinking, why can't she pull herself to me? And the woman might be thinking, why can't he pull me up? Well, there's something that both of them cannot see. What you can see, what we can see, because we're outside the situation, is that the man laying on the cliff has a big boulder on his back, causing tremendous pain. The woman hanging from his hand, there's a hole in the cliff in which there's a snake biting her arm. And so she's in terrible pain too. So they're just barely hanging on. But because of these things that the other can't see, they can't seem to pull themselves toward one another. Now, if you see, if that was a real situation and you could see that, then you could bring these things to light and you could help these two be able to move together. That's what Paul's asking of this true companion. Help them. Help them come together in the Lord. So he's also calling them to rely on the Lord and not on themselves. Now, does every single time members who get in conflict with one another, does it work every time when they try to have somebody mediate? No. We live in a broken world. It doesn't always work out, but it often does. And it is the way that we're called to pursue peace when there's issues between other members and ourselves. So maybe you are feeling conflict with someone, and maybe it's time to bring someone in, someone outside who can be objective and help you with that. Or maybe you know of a conflict, and it's time for you to offer to help. But we can be a church in which we work through things by the power of the gospel with help of a mediator. And you know what? You know why this is actually far more Christ-centered than you might realize? Think about the ultimate reconciliation. Holy and righteous God, who's a loving father, but also a just judge and must punish sin. Sinful humanity, deserving of the wrath of God. How do these two get reconciled to one another? God never having done anything wrong, of course. But how do they get reconciled to one another? Through a mediator. Through the Son who comes, not to represent one side or the other, but both. Not to open God's eyes to anything, he sees all, always, but to open our eyes to our great need for forgiveness and righteousness through faith. And so it is through a mediator that the ultimate reconciliation has taken place, at the cross. And if you're a Christian, if you believe the gospel, then that means you're reconciled to God, not because of anything you do, but because of what he has done. So how do, do we think God thinks mediators are important in reconciliation? If we look at the cross, we do. So we can be a church that helps each other in times when we can't get things worked out. We can help each other. So we can have peace in our relationships. Uh, number two, we can have peace in our hearts. And this may be a little more about, 
you know, the world might call this inner peace. Can I have inner peace? Inside here, can I feel that there's peace? And I think Paul's saying that we can, but not the way the world would get it. So look at verses 4 through 7. Uh, he, and what he's saying here is that we can have peace in our hearts by cultivating a Christ-centered prayer life. We can have peace in our hearts by cultivating a Christ-centered prayer life. This gets very practical. Take a look. He says, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is with you. The Lord is present, he's saying. And therefore, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And... The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about our minds in a second. I think he's first dealing with our hearts. The peace of God will guard our hearts. And he makes this very clear connection with prayer. He knows that the Philippians are anxious. They're worried about things that anybody would be anxious or worried about. They're experiencing pressure from the culture, the Roman culture, to be like the culture. And so he knows that they're having some anxiety. And so what he's telling them is, as they feel that anxiousness, what they should do is combat it by praying. And I want to have a caveat here, because there's a way that we can use this verse in a wrong way and in a harmful way. Because... When Paul is addressing this group, he's not talking to people, as far as he knows, we would assume, that have what we might call today an actual anxiety disorder or depression. He's talking to people who have what normally anybody would be worried about. And here's why that's so important. Because if somebody has an anxiety disorder, if they have depression, and you take this verse and say, well, you just should pray more. You're not helping. And we have people in this church who have anxiety and who have depression, and they've been told to just pray more, and it hurt. Because one, it assumed they haven't been praying their heads off. But the reality is, in this world, on the on this side of heaven, our bodies can get broken, so can our minds and our hearts. And in the same way, if somebody had a broken arm, we wouldn't say, well, just pray more. We shouldn't say that if somebody's wrestling with an actual anxiety disorder or depression. Instead, we should pray for them. We should be there for them. We should be patient with, for, with them. We should love them. We should surround them. We should lament with and for them. Okay, so we've got to be very careful we don't misuse this verse. And we can be actually an even more loving church as we are loving and, and gracious towards those who have anxiety and depression. And we do. We have people in this church who wrestle with those things. And I praise God for those people. And you should too. So we don't want to misuse this verse. He's not talking about anxiety disorder. He's not talking about depression but he is talking about things that anybody would be worried about. So we have, when we are worried about things that anybody would be worried about, Paul is saying, pray about it. Don't just think about it and worry about it. Let your heart 
go crazy, pray about it. Spend time on your knees praying and asking God to help you with these things or to solve this problem or to deal with this issue. And the reason that Paul does this is because he knows that when we bring issues and problems to somebody who can do something about it, you know what happens in your heart? You feel a little peace, even if the situation isn't yet resolved. I asked my daughter this morning if I could tell a story about her. Many of you will remember that a couple summers ago, uh, my family had a very, very scary moment. My, at the time, five-year-old daughter fell out of a second-story window. And she fell a far distance and landed on a concrete slab driveway. And so, as you might imagine, my wife and I, my whole family, we were absolutely terrified and we scooped her up and we put her in the van and we drove as fast as we could to the hospital. And we did get pulled over and it doesn't matter who was driving. And, um, but we got there. And when we got there, we were terrified, and we, I seriously, I remember her, she was white as a sheet, and her bleeding out of her mouth, and we didn't know if we were in the final moments with our daughter, we were terrified. And so they bring us in, and they lay her on this table in the emergency room, and the doctor says, what happened? And we just start telling the doctor everything that happened. She fell from this window. She fell onto concrete. Here's a picture of the window, so you can see the distance. My mom had texted me a picture as we were racing to the hospital. We said everything about her. We, we put everything in his hands, and then he said to us, okay, we'll take it from here. She's in good hands. And even though we still didn't know how things were going to turn out, I remember a, a, an exhale of peace, okay? We have her now in the hands of somebody who can do something. You think God wants you to pray because praying is the moral thing to do? He wants you to pray because he can do all things. He wants you to pray because he cares about your heart and the worry that fills it in a broken world. He wants us to pray because when we offload these worries and these cares and these burdens onto the one who can actually do something about them, then there's some peace. God doesn't want prayer from us. He wants it for us so that we have peace even in the midst of things that are very worrisome to us. You know, as we think about how uh, Christ helps us solidify the understanding of this, right? When we, when we trust in Christ, what we're doing is depending fully on him. We're offloading everything onto him. You have to do it all, Jesus. And when we do that, and when we believe in Jesus, and we trust in him alone for our salvation, we offload everything to him, then we have this peace because we know we're reconciled to God, not by what we do, but by what he's done, then there's peace with God. Well, it's the same thing with prayer. He wants us to offload, offload everything onto him. And that gives us peace. So we can have peace if we will develop a Christ-centered prayer life. So maybe in our community groups this week, we can talk about the importance of prayer as a group, maybe as families, as individuals, more prayer, less worry. That's the equation but what about our minds? Thirdly, let's talk about peace in our minds. Look at verses 8 and 9. And what Paul's saying here is that we can have peace in our minds by cultivating what we might call a Christ-centered thought life. 
a Christ-centered thought life. You know, I think I've been asked many, many times by people, how's your prayer life? And we all hate that question. But, but I've been asked that many, many times. I don't think I've been asked very many times, how is your thought life? Are you managing your thought life? But Paul does that exact thing here. He's talking about the peace of God guarding our hearts, but now also our minds in Christ Jesus. So how do we have peace in our minds through Christ Jesus? Well, look at what he says, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. That's an imperative. It's a command. Do this. Think about these things. Think about things that match these descriptions. In verse 9, he says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So in other words, he's saying, look, all these things that you're learning from us, don't just hear about them, but actually do them, and the God of peace will be with you. Not only the peace of God, but the God of peace. He'll be with you. You'll feel his presence more and more as you actually do these things. Paul, what do you, but what do you want us to do He's saying, I want you to think about things that match these descriptions. And he's not just talking about the power of positive thinking. He is, however, talking about the power of thinking about things that are actually true and actually honorable and actually just and pure and lovely. Because as we take the time to think about such things, it has an impact on our mind. Largely because you can't think about all these things without seeing the way God really is at work in the world, the way God has not abandoned this world. I mean, there are things happening in society and in the church. And so he wants us to think about these things. I think one of the ways you could actually be very practical about this is if you were to take the time. This Here's our homework for the week. Let's actually do this. Let's think about these things and not just read the verse, but actually take all these words and write out using the scriptures as our guide because only the scriptures can tell us what's actually true, what's actually honorable, what's actually pure, what's actually just. But we could actually write out lists of things that match up with the scripture that we see elsewhere and then actually take the time to think about those things. In prayer, uh, we get peace of mind as we offload stuff onto God for managing a Christ-centered thought life. We download or upload or inload or some load, but we load in these things that are actually good and that remind us of the fact that these things take place in the world, things like these things that are actually pure, things that are actually honorable. But here's why we don't do, you know why we don't do this? One, because sometimes we just read and skip imperatives like this, but two, because it would actually take time. See how much time it would take to actually write out each of these words and then find in the scriptures things that match up? That would take some time. I think you should, I think we should take the time this week. I think we should do that. And you know why? Mixtapes, that's why. Depending on your age, you have either made a mixtape or you may have kids who made a mixtape or you may have parents who made a mixtape. What's a mixtape? Today you'd call it a playlist and it takes eight seconds to drag and drop on iTunes. That's not what it's supposed to be, people. <laughs> this is supposed to take work. And it did back when we had tapes. Kids, hey, you can ask your parents what tapes are later. But for now, tapes, right? You would you'd get a 
clear Memorex six-hour tape. And then you'd find somebody who had a tape deck with two decks, right? Either a boombox or a, a stereo system that had two decks, two tape decks. Kids, you probably, your parents probably have one in the basement. Wait, we're in Florida. There's no basements. Look in the garage. And what you would do is you would take one blank tape and put it in the right side, and then you'd put a tape from one of the bands that you like, and you'd put it in the left side, and you'd press play on the band, on the, you know, the one of the bands you like, and then record on the other, and you would record a song. And then you would hit stop, and you would hit eject, and you'd take the first tape out and put another band in there, and you'd record yet another song, and then you would keep doing that, and you would load all these great songs onto the mixtape. And then when it was time to go driving with your friends, you'd put the mixtape in your parents' car that you were supposed to have back by nine. And then you would just go driving and everybody would be having a great time because you put in the time to make the mixtape and you put on all these songs that make your heart and mind sing and you are thankful for your mixtape and now it's in a box. But there was a day when that mixtape that you put the time into making really blessed your soul, didn't it? This is just mixtape for your soul. That's what Paul's saying. Put in the time. To search the scriptures and, and, and to write down things that are actually true and, and things that are actually honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy and then put the mixtape in your heart. And what happens is as you think about these things, it gives you peace of mind. And not just because you're doing it. Remember, the peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's where I think Paul ultimately realizes where we'd have to go. If you make a list of things like this, you know who's going to show up on each word? Whatever is true. Okay, the greatest truth ever is the good news that we're not reconciled to God by anything that we do, but rather by the finished work of Christ, the mediator, who has made peace between us and God on the cross for us, and we receive that by grace through faith alone in Him. That's true, and if you're making a list of things that are true, that's on there. What's the most honorable thing that ever happened? Of course, the laying down of the life of the perfect Son of God who never sinned, but He laid His life down honorably in our place so that His honor could become ours. What is the most just thing that has ever taken place? The punishment of the sins of the people of God, not received by them, but received by Christ. What is the uh, pure, who's the purest person that ever lived? Christ. Who's the loveliest person that has ever lived? Christ. What's the most commendable thing in the history of history? The gospel. Who is the definition of excellence? Christ. What's the most praiseworthy act you could ever even fathom? The cross. If you do these things, if you write these, if you make the list, guess what? It's going to end up being about Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then Jesus is going to give peace in your mind. So take the time, make the mixtape, get the peace. We can really have relationships that go south, but then can be healed. Sometimes it takes time. 
Often it takes a mediator. But we have a king who mediates. We can have peace in our hearts because we get to, we're asked, we're called to offload those burdens and cares to the one who can actually do something about it. And we can have peace in our minds by downloading, uploading, onboarding, all these wonderful things that exist in the world that ultimately all point us to the one who created it and the one who's making it new, Christ himself. You want peace? Don't go looking for it. You want peace? You want Christ. And the good news is he wants you. Let's pray. Father, would you give us peace? We want peace in our relationships. We want peace in our hearts. We want peace in our minds. It only comes through Christ. Would you help us faithfully, by your spirit and for your glory, continue to know him more and more and more? And would our increasing knowledge of Christ result in greater peace in our relationships in this church and result in greater peace in our hearts and result in greater peace in our minds that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who has brought us out of darkness into this wonderful, marvelous light that more and more people in this city and even among the nations would hear the good news. The good news of the finished work of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.